Well, good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. Congratulations to you for springing forward, and thank you for doing that. You never know on a day like this uh, how many people are going to remember and, and how many will show up. So I'm glad you're here, and I, I'm thankful uh, for the opportunity to be here today. I thank Lyndall for giving me the chance to preach in, in his absence, and it's always good to be here at First Baptist Weatherford. First Baptist is sort of our anchor church. Uh, in the association. It's one of our oldest congregations, of course. I'm not saying that about you personally. I'm talking about the congregation, but uh, it's one of our oldest churches, and out of this church, a lot of churches in our association were started, and so it's always nice to be able to be here and to be with you. If you ever find yourself in London, England, and you're riding the subway system, or what they call the underground, you'll notice that there are a lot of verbal and written announcements that say, mind the gap. Uh, signs are all over the stations, and when, and when a train rolls into the station, there is a, a consistent announcement that says, mind the gap. And it's a peculiar British expression or way of saying things, but the, the genesis of it is that the, the platforms in the subway stations are curved, and so when the, the trains come in, there is a gap that is created between the train and the platform. And so they're warning people about the danger of, of mindlessly stepping into the gap that, that exists between the platform and the train. And so it's for safety features and uh, to warn of that danger. Well, I, I think about that story sometimes when I think about the gap that exists between who we are and who God wants us to be or what we are doing and what God wants us to do, or who God really is and what we think about him and who he is. And so I'd like for us to think about that a little bit today, about the gap that can sometimes exist between who we are and who God really wants us to be and how we should be mindful about that gap and when it widens and how we could narrow it sometimes. And I want to read a story from the life of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. I'll start in verse 1. And if you have a Bible and you want to open your Bible to that, that chapter, feel free to do so. It's 1 Kings chapter 19. And I'll start in verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword, referring to the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Then he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, 
or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And then on the strength of that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there and spent the night. Suddenly the word of the Lord came to him and, he, and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets. They have killed the prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, he replied, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they're looking to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go, and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you are to anoint Hazael as king of Aram. You will, you will then anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, as prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put to death those whoever, whoever escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elijah will put to death whomever escapes the sword of Jehu. But I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah finds himself alone in the wilderness, depressed, and saying, I'd like to die. I've had enough, Lord. I've had enough, and I want to die. How did he get there? There's a backstory, of course. I won't read all of chapter 18 to tell that story. But I will refer to a couple of things. First of all, there was a bit of a confrontation between Elijah and Ahab. The scripture tells us that Ahab did more evil in the sight of the Lord than any other king before him in Israel. And God was punishing Israel because they were following Ahab and his wife Jezebel into evil and they were worshiping false gods. And so God led Elijah to this confrontation to once and for all establish the fact that he wanted the nation to return to him. Ahab gathers all the people to Mount Carmel, and in verse 21 of of chapter 18, Elijah confronts the people. You see, he approached them and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. So Elijah lays out the distinction. You know, if God is the true and living God, if Yahweh is the God of Israel, then follow him. 
If Baal is the, the right God for you, then follow him. But how long are you going to sit on the fence between the two? You can't hold both opinions. Those two, that tension is too much. You can't hold on to that. But the people were unable to make a decision. They wanted to hold on to both. They wanted to go through the motions of worshiping God, but they also wanted to worship Baal. And Elijah is saying, you can't do that. The gap is too large. And you need to mind the gap between who God has called you to be and who you are right now. And the people weren't willing to face up to that. Now, we have to ask the question, how did they get here? How did they move from being God's people to being this people that was willing to sit on the fence between the God of Israel and Baal, the false god? How did they get there? Well, it wasn't just something that happened all of a sudden. It was over the course of time when they found themselves making choices and engaging in activities that gradually led them step by step away from true faithfulness to the God of Israel. And now they find themselves in this dilemma where they're following an evil king, an evil queen, and they're living in this, with this broadened gap between who they are and who God called them to be. And that's how we get there too, isn't it? We don't just wake up one day and we find our hearts far from God. It happens bit by bit, choice by choice, action by action. Little things that creep into our lives that widen that gap between who God calls us to be and who we really are as the people of God. And it's small decisions. We can sometimes focus on large sins that we see other people commit that we think are, you know, we, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't engage in that. We're not like those folks. It's really the small decisions that we make. You know, it's tax time and, and opportunities come up every now and then maybe to cheat on your taxes. Maybe you don't report some cash income or you, you take a deduction that is really not allowed or you just do a, a small little thing that just chips away at your integrity and you think, well, that doesn't really matter. God won't mind, but it widens the gap between who we are, who God wants us to be. Or maybe you're in business and, and you have a choice to make. That choice maybe is something that treats people the wrong way or it erodes away your integrity and you think, well, everybody else does that. I'm in a, com- I'm in a competitive environment and if I don't do that too, that I will lose to my competition. And so, so I'll just do this. Surely God won't mind. And, and it widens the gap between who we are and who God wants us to be. Or maybe we're in school and we haven't studied like we should, and so we get an opportunity to cheat on a test. God won't mind just this one time. It's just a small step. Step by step, choice by choice, action by action, The gap widens between who we are and who he's called us to be. And we find ourselves in these positions of divided loyalty. Do we really do what God wants us to do? I mean, was Jesus serious when he said to love your enemies? Did he really want us to do that? The answer is yes. But 
but we can find ourselves in that gap between who he wants us to be and who we are. And that's where the people of Israel find themselves. So Elijah is challenging them, turn back to God, and he sets up this, this contest with the prophets of Baal. They will both set up a sacrifice, and the true God will send fire from heaven to burn up the sacrifice and, and reveal himself. He gives the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, first option. They build an altar. They lay out the sacrifice. They pray to their God. They pray all morning long, and nothing happens. So Elijah begins to taunt them a little bit around noontime. Maybe, maybe Baal is asleep. Maybe he's preoccupied, or he's distracted, or he's on a trip. Maybe they just need to yell a little bit louder, and so they do. And they contort themselves all kinds of ways to get Baal's attention to send fire from heaven and nothing happens. And so when it's time for the evening sacrifice, Elijah said, that's enough. It's my turn. So he built an altar of stones. He puts wood across it. He lays the, the, the animal on top as a sacrifice. And then he has... Someone bring these pots of water, these jars of water, and they pour the water over the sacrifice. They've dug a trench around the altar. They pour 12 pots of water or jars of water over the altar, so much so that the water drips down off the altar and fills up the trench around it. And then he prays. His prayer is in verse 36. It says, at the time the offering For offering the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that at your word I have done all these things. You know, what's amazing to me about this prayer is that Elijah doesn't ask for vindication for himself. Ahab had... had, uh, had said to to Elijah and referred to him as the troubler of Israel. And Elijah doesn't come before God and say, God, will you show Ahab that I'm not the troubler of Israel? He's the troubler of Israel. He's the one causing the problem, not me. Elijah doesn't do that. He doesn't come and say, God, will will you show everyone that I'm right? that I'm correct? Will you show that what I've been saying is true all along and and that I'm really your guy and that I'm good enough to be your guy and that that everything I've been saying is your word and so, so will you show them that I'm correct, that I'm right? He doesn't do that. He says, God, show yourself. Show that your glory, that you are the God in Israel, and just that I am your servant. You know, Elijah was, was at his very best in this moment when who he was and who God wanted him to be closely corresponded. When he was asking God to show his glory and when he was asking just to be known as God's servant. That's when the gap wide gap narrows is when we want God to receive the glory. But it widens when we think about ourselves. 
our, our association of churches here in Parker County, 45 churches, we support a, a mission congregation, a mission church in, in Brooklyn, New York, in the neighborhood of Coney Island, which is on the southern end of Brooklyn. About 37,000 people live in the Coney Island neighborhood, which covers about 0.7 square miles. So you have a population larger than the city of Weatherford in a very small geographic area. And the poverty rate in Coney Island is above 27%. And so there's a lot of need there. We have a church planter, a husband and wife team, Stephen and Carrie Trainer, who are from Weatherford, who moved to, to uh, Brooklyn about five years ago, five or six years ago, to plant a Graffiti Church is the name of the church. And uh, they, they have a ministry that goes along with the church that does GED training and teaching, uh, job skill training, after-school programs for one of the local schools. And so we have a, a board of directors for this nonprofit corporation that we've created for this ministry. So last year at about this time, just before COVID hit, uh, we were in New York for a board meeting. And, and we were recalling how the ministry had begun. When Stephen and Carrie moved to New York, they took possession of, a, of an old FEMA trailer that was left over from Hurricane Sandy. And it was illegally parked on Mermaid Avenue in Coney Island. And, um, and we didn't know how long it would be allowed to stay there. But nobody else wanted it. Stephen took it. He started uh, teaching GED students. He started bringing in students after school for tutoring and doing all these things. And so in this, this 24-foot trailer, 24-by-8-foot trailer, we were do, he was doing ministry. And we, we knew the clock was ticking, that someday the city would come along and they would say, you need to move that trailer. And so we were always looking for a permanent space, and we never could find anything. The, the rent was so high, and, and, and the, the opportunity was so scarce that we, we just kept looking for the place that we could afford. And finally, Stephen found a place that was uh, on the second floor of a building above a storefront, and, and the space had been divided, and so there was a back room of about 600 square feet. The cost was $3,600 a month, and we weren't sure we could really pull that off. So we prayed about it. We couldn't find anything else. Finally, the Lord led us to just, just jump out and and, and say, yes, we'll take that. And the, the day before the city had given a deadline to, to move the trailer because they were doing utility work and needed, needed the trailer out of the way, the day before the trailer had to be moved, Stephen picked up the keys for that building. So he operated out of that 600 square feet. Again, GED programs, job training programs, after-school programs, a summer children's program, all in that tiny space. The, the other part of the floor was never rented, and so the opportunity came up for us to have the entire second floor for $5,000 a month. And so we did it, and God provided. And we were able to, to have worship there in that space for the church. Uh, the church would, would feed meals. They would uh, serve breakfast on Sunday morning, and then have worship service after breakfast. 
They would have a lunch on Tuesday and a, and a supper on Thursday and have Bible studies connected to those meals. Dozens of people came to know Jesus and were baptized by first being served a meal at Graffiti Church. But the owner decided, the landlord decided that they wanted a 10-year lease. And they wanted a percentage of escalation every year written into the lease for the rent. And, and we, we, we thought, we prayed, it just seemed irresponsible to commit ourselves to that kind of money. So again, there was a search through the neighborhood for a piece of property. Stephen couldn't find anything that would allow us to do the ministry, but then to worship also. And so, so when we, we met last February, we were in a, a second floor that we had rented that had three rooms and enough for a classroom and a couple of offices. It was about 15, 1,600 square feet, but it was affordable to us. But we couldn't have space for a worship service. And so Stephen was scouring the community for a place where, where he could meet for worship. We went into every building that was available in Coney Island. He even went into to church buildings. And the rent that they wanted to charge was so high we just couldn't afford it. So one day Stephen walked into an adult daycare down the street where, where families would bring elderly individuals that couldn't stay by themselves and they would, would stay during the day and they had programs for them. Stephen went to the owners. He, he told, them, told them what he was doing and, and what he needed. They said, you know, we might be able to do something like that. So let us think about it. They called him back and, and told him, we'll let you meet here for $500 a month. And, and we praised God for that that someone would allow us to have a space. And so the day that we were there last February and we were meeting, Stephen received a message from the owners of the building. And they said to him, you know, we have similar interests. We're serving basically the same people. We want to accomplish many of the same purposes. And, and we, we believe in Jesus also. And so we've just decided that we'll just let you meet in our building We'll let you use our building, and we're not going to charge you. So that afternoon, we started. We we were prayer walking the neighborhood, and it's something that we always do as a board. And we came to that that spot on the corner of of uh, Mermaid Avenue and Twenty Sixth Street, and we we prayed, and we. We said to God, you know, we're on holy ground here. Because this is where we began to fulfill the vision that you had for our ministry. And we had no idea how you were going to help us do that. And we confess that a lot of times we tried to do it ourselves. We thought we were the only ones. We... We thought nobody else is, is offering ministry like we're, we're doing. And, and, and we began to think that you were relying on us to carry out your mission. You needed us. And, and we said, you know, we confess today the, the reality that we need you way more than you need us. And, and we prayed and we said to God, you know, you, you loved this neighborhood long before we loved it, long before we were here. 
And you will love this neighborhood long after we're gone. And so we want you to be known in this neighborhood as God and for us just to be known as your servants. And you know, when, when we allow God to be glorified, when we allow God to be known, when we just pray for him to be known, and we want him to be the one who receives the glory, and, and all we want to do is participate in that and to be part of, of, the, of the work that he's doing and to be ambassadors for the kingdom, then we are never more closer to narrowing that gap between who he is and who we ought to be and what he wants us to be. And so Elijah finds himself out of the wilderness because he got a little bit full of himself and he and the people got excited when when he prayed and God brought fire down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice and the altar, the wood, the stones, it lapped up all the water and the trenches and all of that. The people returned to God, and they, they slaughtered all the prophets of Baal. And Elijah thought, man, we've had a great revival, and the whole nation is going to turn back to, to God. And I have no idea what he thought Jezebel was going to do. Maybe, maybe he thought she would repent, but she didn't. She got angry. And she put a contract out on on Elijah's life. And he got scared. And he ran. And he said, God, I've had enough. I've had enough. And I just want to die. Now, think about that for a moment. How does a man who has called fire down from heaven and has watched that enormous miracle suddenly a couple of days later say, I've had enough, and I want to die. Well, it just shows how easy it is to go from being right in the center of where God wants you to all of a sudden widening that gap again between who we are and who he wants us to be. And he, he again thought, you know, I'm going to be vindicated by this. I, he, he thought... You know, everything is going to change. And when things didn't change the way he expected them to change, he suddenly said, you know, God, I've had enough. He's lost sight of who God is and who he is in relationship to him. So he had prayed, God, I just want to be your servant. But now he's fearing for his life. You know, how, how did he get to the point where he thought that Jezebel's power was greater than the power who had sent fire down from heaven to consume the sacrifice. But it happens, doesn't it? It happens because we lose sight of who God is and who we are in relationship to him. It's easy to forget that we're just his servants. And we get consumed with that weariness of thinking that we have to carry the whole burden for everything that God wants to do. And so somehow, it's hard for us to imagine it, but somehow Elijah thinks he's a failure. He thinks he's failed God. And so it's just time for him to die because he's carrying that burden of thinking that he has to, to carry all that God wants him to do. So what God does is he provides for Elijah. He provides nourishment. He provides rest. 
And then he provides a challenge. You know, he wakes him up, he feeds him, he gives him rest, he sends him on a journey, and, and God's going to speak to him. Now, it's significant to me that God, you know, sent the, the, the huge windstorm, he sent the earthquake, he sent the fire, because that's how we often think God is going to speak, through these big, magical, majestic moments. And certainly God can do that. But, but that, that wasn't what he wanted Elijah to see and to hear. He speaks in a still, small voice. And he asks him, what are you doing here? Twice. And twice Elijah says, you know, man, I was out there. I was, I was doing your work. I was working hard. I, I was doing what I thought you wanted me to do. And now they want to kill me. How often... Have we, as individuals and as, as churches, said, you know, God, we're out there. We, we're, 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 we're doing the cause. We're doing the work. We're, we're trying to serve you. We're trying to be faithful to you. And it's just not working out. And we've had enough. You know, God doesn't chastise Elijah. He could have. But he really doesn't even bother with Elijah's complaint. He says, get up and go back to the fight. Go back to being who I called you to be. I called you to be a prophet, and I'm not through with you yet. So go back. And oh, by the way, there are more out there just like you. You think you're the only one, but you're not. There are more like you. So easy for us to think that 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 our service for God isn't doing any good. We're not making any headway. But God provides for us. He gives us what we need. But then he will instill us with his vision. We can't lose sight of who, is, who God is calling us to be. Julie, if you would put that, that picture up on, the, on the, uh, the screen for us. This is a, a friend of mine named Mark Clifton. Mark is, uh, is an employee of the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. And his assignment is church replanting. So what Mark does is he goes into churches that are declining or they're dying, and he tries to help them recover and even replant, start over again. The statistics tell us that about 4,000 churches in the United States close their doors every year, and about 1,000 of them are Southern Baptist churches. So Mark's a busy guy. One day he was out driving around at his, where he lives in Kansas City, and it's where he grew up. And as he was doing some things, he was taking pictures of some churches that he knew had once existed but no longer existed and buildings that housed churches that no longer house a Baptist church. So he took this picture in front of a church and uh, you may not be able to read the sign. If you go to the second picture, Julie, uh, well, you can't really read the sign there. You'll see that what was once a thriving Baptist church is now home to a splinter group from the Church of Latter-day Saints. And so he was, he was talking about the, the loss of sacred spaces. Uh, Mark refers to an empty church building. He says an empty church building is the same to God as an, what an empty castle says about a long-forgotten king. And 
So I, so I sent Mark a message. I said, what happened to the, these churches? Did the community around them change? Was there moral failure among the leadership? Was it, you know, you know what happened? And he, he wrote me back and he said, it was none of that. This church was in a thriving neighborhood. There were plenty of people to reach. But what happened was they began to be more concerned about their preferences than they were the mission of Jesus. They forgot that their mission was to seek and to save the to seek the lost, let Jesus save the lost, and to grow them up as disciples of Jesus Christ. It became, you know, satisfying their preferences became more important to them. So as time went on, they began to decline. And as they declined, they doubled down more and more on their preferences until they ceased to exist. And now the building is owned by another group. We know that that's what happens to us when we have a gap. And I'm not telling that story because I think First Baptist Church is, is in danger of dying. I'm not trying to make that suggestion. I'm trying to say how easy it is for us to lose the vision of God, to be like Elijah out in the wilderness thinking, you know, we've tried everything, we've done everything, it's just not working out. And God calls us to get back up and go back to the fight. I'm not finished with you. Be who I called you to be. Serve me, and there are more out there just like you who do the work of the kingdom. And God is saying, I was here long before you were, and I'll be here long after you are, and I will love the world more than you ever could. Just demonstrate my glory and demonstrate that you're my servant. The gap widens when we forget that God provides for us and we think we have to do it all ourselves and it widens when we forget his vision for people to come to know Jesus and to grow up as his disciples and for us to be ambassadors of the kingdom and for our churches to be embassies of his kingdom. And maybe God is calling you back to that in some way today. Maybe there's a gap between who you are and who God has called you to be. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never trusted him as your Savior. You're here in this room today or you're watching online. You don't know Jesus at all. And, I, and the call to you today is to come into a relationship with him to understand who he is and what he can do for your life how he can give you both an eternal life in the future and an abundant life now. And we invite you to know him. Or maybe you know him and you've tried to serve him, but you're tired. Maybe you're a little depressed. Maybe you, you don't know where your gifts lie. And, and God is calling you to get up and say, I'm going to provide for you. And I have a vision for your, your life. And I want you to serve me. And somehow you've let that gap widen between who you are and who God wants you to be. And maybe it's choices that you've made. It's actions that you've done. Or maybe you're just weary and and you've lost sight of God's vision. And God today is calling you back to mind the gap between who you are and who he wants you to be. He's saying, get up. Get up and go back 
into the world to be my servant. And that gap narrows, and we are never more at our best than when we want God to be glorified and we just want to be known as people who serve him. And so in, in whatever way God is calling you to mind that gap today, I pray that you will be, att- you will be attentive to it and that you will narrow it and that you'll let God get you up and send you back into the work of serving him and being a faithful servant. Let's pray together.